everybody. Gardner Goldsmith here with your Liberty Conspiracy Audios. LibertyConspiracy.com, the website, iTunes, Automatic, some of the host sites where you can go and download our program. You can subscribe as well. And you in the audience, the fellow conspirators. Good to have you along, folks. Um, these are the portable productions for Liberty that we put together so that people can take these with them wherever they might be. If they're working out, going running, driving in their car, hopping on a plane, on a bike, just going for a walk, or maybe listening as they might be in their kitchen or whatever. Uh, thanks a lot for taking us along and being interested in individual liberty. This is a bit shorter program than some of the previous podcasts over the past few weeks because it's a compilation of the second hour, not the first and second hours, but only the second hour of our Sunday, the 25th of March broadcast. And, uh, yeah, no. Yes, Sunday the 25th. Uh, And on it, uh, I'm doing this specifically because I want to isolate the conversation that we got to have with Stefan Kinsella. And Stefan was nice enough to join me for the entire hour to talk about intellectual property and copyright and the way that free markets handle this sort of thing and the way that government tends to handle this sort of thing and a little bit of the history of how government got involved in so-called copyright protections. Really interesting, very, very interesting stuff. And I wanted to make sure I made it an isolated show so you could just listen to it as, as its own thing. So, without further ado, Shakespeare, we'll go right into it playing more great music from none other than The Prodigy, a musical group that would not have been able to do what they do if they weren't sampling music from other people. Creativity in a totally new way, thanks to technology. The Prodigy, Stefan Kinsella, so-called intellectual property, copyrights, government. Right here. Be seeing you. For hour number two of Liberty Conspiracy Radio, libertyconspiracy.com is the website. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, and it's great to have you here at lrn.fm. You can stream us there. You can listen to us on any of the affiliates of the Liberty Radio Network. And, of course, go to libertyconspiracy.com. We turn many of the programs into podcasts because what we like to do is we like to take the Liberty Conspiracy audios format, which is one where... It's not a sort of a typical talk radio thing where we try to inflame people and get people calling in and you measure the success of a program by, oh, we got 25 calls that hour. Wow, people are really fired up. You know, I, I get satisfaction out of 
investigating interesting things. And I think the audience does as well. And right now I want to um, welcome our guest for this hour who has done a lot of investigation into many aspects of liberty. He's very well known amongst libertarians. And uh, I've been looking forward to actually meeting him in a way we've met in person here as we've been chatting before the top of the hour uh, news started up. And I get to welcome him now. He is Stefan Kinsella. And um, I would endeavor uh, to, I would, I would implore you, I would entreat you to check out some of his writing and listen to some of the things that he has to say, particularly on the issue right now that we're going to discuss, which is sort of a, a it's an issue that a lot of libertarians uh, deal with, to leave a preposition dangling, but to leave another preposition dangling, about which, uh, the, uh, no, they argue about a great deal. Um, and it's intellectual property and copyright. And the question of should there be some sort of policing of this done by government? And I want to welcome Stefan with us right now at Liberty Conceal. Good to have you here, Stefan. Thanks, Gordon. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, it's, it's great to have you on. And um, Stefan, where are you located right now, just so uh, people get an idea of the general, general area? Oh, Say right. again? Yeah. Where are you located right now, Stephen? I'm in Houston, Texas. I'm an attorney, and I'm a libertarian uh, author, and uh, been involved in the movement for, oh, 25 or so years. All right. And in case people want to write anything down or, or check things out right now for links, what do you suggest? I know you've got uh, some really good material, a great book with a great title that, that came out just not too long ago. And, um, you know, if you want to suggest some websites for people to check out, love for them to take this down right at the outset and investigate it uh, as, uh, as they become more interested in what you have to say, Stephen. Probably the best source would just be to go to my, uh, the site for my, uh, my Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, which is at C4, the, the number 4, SIF.org, mm-hmm. and just go to the resources page. And my Against Intellectual Property book is there free online and lots of other resources by um, other authors as well that's great okay excellent um seven we talk about intellectual property and um i think first of all maybe we ought to get an idea of of what it means to some people and how you got interested in this uh, intellectual property copyrights patents and things like that the way the government handles it and alternatives that might arise in free markets or uh, will have to arise in free markets well, I got interested in it um, primarily just because I was uh, studying libertarian theory and uh, Ayn Rand's theory, et cetera, when I was um, in college and in law school. And um, sort of the predominant view seemed to be that intellectual property, which means patent and copyright and other types of special rights created by the government, or types of property rights – but the arguments that libertarians came up with in favor of these always seemed strained to me. So I assumed that they were correct, that this is part of the Western capitalist system, the free market system, because after all, it's in the U.S. Constitution. It's been, it's been part of our system for over 200 years. Everyone assumes their property rights. They're called property rights. So what's the justification? Ayn Rand's justification made no sense to me because – you know, copyrights last for life of the author plus 70 years. Yeah. Patents last at the time for 17 years. 
So these are sort of arbitrary numbers and they're not infinite like other property rights. So when Ayn Rand says it makes sense for the first guy to get to the patent office to get the patent and it makes sense that the copyrights last about uh, you know 100 years and it makes sense for copy patents to last about 17 years, which just happens to be what the you know the uh, the Congress enacted 200 years ago, you start getting suspicious that well maybe she's just sort of justifying what we happen to have done. And so I looked into it, and then I actually went to law school and started practicing law, and I started practicing patent and copyright law myself. Oh, yeah. And at that time, I looked even harder for a way to justify these types of laws. And finally, I, I realized that <laughs> I was making no traction because um, all of my research into Austrian economics and political philosophy and property rights theory made me finally realize, well, the reason – we're having trouble justifying these laws is because they're not justifiable. They're actually not compatible mm -hmm. with property rights. They're actually not real property rights. Right. In fact, they undercut property rights. The, these are these are laws that are rooted in state monopoly privilege, and they basically undercut property property rights. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Stefan Stefan Kinsella is our guest, folks. Six zero three eight three five thirty three sixty is the way you reach us. Stefan, you really you really hit a, a resonant note for me because in my eyes they as you you use the term undercut they they really do undercut the modes of interaction uh, which we as sovereign individuals as true self actors can create organically with one another these arbitrary laws you know I was mentioning Frederick Bastiat in the last hour and the opening of that text that he wrote called The Law. And he says, the law perverted. And he understood the distinction between natural law as an outgrowth of human interaction and those things which we respect for one another and those things which we regard as bad activity and which we shun. And the man-written law, which he did not want, and which was perverted constantly because men do this. And copyright and patent law, per se are things that I think we all sort of recognize certain aspects of, of uh, acknowledging someone, uh, someone's create, creation of something or admiring their creation of something. But when you get it into the government law sphere, it turns it into a complete arbitrary mess and destroys other people's rights to create. Yeah, of course. I agree with that completely. Of course, Bastiat was 100% correct. Hmm. Um, and, you know, in a way, his distinction between, uh, you know, he basically condemned plunder, legalized plunder, and, of yeah. course, patent and copyright, which are the archetypical types of intellectual property rights, is basically legalized plunder. Yeah. It allows these large corporations to l use the government courts to steal money and actually imprison people who are doing things that these companies don't want so that they can make more profit. Right. So you have corporatism and you have companies in bed with the state. This is not the free market and this is not capitalism. Um, you know, in, in the law, we, we, we distinguish between malum in se and malum prohibitum, right? Which mm -hmm. means things that are bad in, in and of themselves, mm -hmm. you know, murder, rape, theft, and things that are illegal only because the government prohibits it by a statute. Mm. And that is what copyright and patent are. And in fact, if you have any um, awareness of the origin of these laws, you know, you'll realize that, that patents arose in government protectionism and mercantilism in the 
14, 15, 1600s, you know, where the, when the government's granting literally monopolies to court cronies like, you know, the playing card monopoly or the monopoly on wine or leather or whatever, yeah. not because someone invented it, just but just because it's a way for the government to, you know, gain favors or, or, or reward people who are helping the government collect taxes. And copyright, which I believe is even worse than patents because it lasts longer. And it's being used nowadays by the state as an excuse to clamp down on internet freedom mm. because the internet is the greatest threat to the state. Yeah. Uh, copyright literally arose in state control of thought and censorship. Mm. Stefan, I am so glad. This is really great. I just, I just want to tell you personally, you know, whether or not I would be talking on the radio. This is really, really interesting to me. Uh, can, you, can you stick with us? You'll be able to stick with us for a few segments? Absolutely. Great. Stefan Gonsella is our guest, folks. 603-835-3360 is our number. We're going to hear from some of the folks who back us up commercially and return together at Liberty Conspiracy Radio. LibertyConspiracy.com is the website. Liberty Conspiracy Radio Live. Good to have you here, everybody. Gardner Goldsmith along with Danko Jones. I hope you'll look for Danko Jones' music. I was just listening to Danko's uh, Born a Lion. Uh, you gotta, you got to check out uh, Lover Call. That's all i got to tell you. Guys, if you want to figure out the, the, the magical mystery, the, 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 the answer to being successful with a lady... Just turn to Danko Jones. That's all I have to tell you. And if you want to get some really interesting things to consider, if you want to derive some fascinating thoughts for you to ruminate about intellectual property and copyright, uh, you know, cheesy transition as it is from Danko Jones over to our guest, uh, turn to our guest right now. He's, he's uh, nice enough to stay around for a while. He's Stefan Kinsella, and uh, I hope you will uh, check out what Stefan has to say 
here on this program. We'll turn it into a podcast. You can tell your friends about it as well. Uh, but also check out his writing because he's really done a great study of it. And, uh, Seven, thanks for sticking around. We were talking a lot off the air, so I appreciate you uh, coming back on this uh, second segment. Really good to have you back. Sure, glad to be here. Uh, Seven, we, were, we went through in the first segment, uh, those people who might just be joining us, uh, some of the things that you noticed that sort of drove you into sort of unraveling the onion about the assumptions that people have had, the historical underpinnings of government-enforced copyright, government-enforced patent protection, uh, going back to mercantilism, uh, 16th century, 17th century, the kind of thing Adam Smith warned, about which Adam Smith warned in uh, The Wealth of Nations, uh, the sorts of things that we see now to a hyper extent in uh, so many nation-states with corporatism and, um, and graft and so on. Um, tell us a little bit more about, uh, as an attorney, how you saw this manifested, if you could, and, and how you might have seen some libertarian thinkers really weren't on the right track on, on really pinning down right. the problems. Yeah, I mean, most libertarian thinkers, I think, have sort of ignored this issue because up until, I'd say, around 1995 when the answer explode. It was not as big of an issue. Um, I think it's always caused problems, but they were sort of underground or sort of subtle or in the background. Yeah. I think basically patent and copyright act like a tax on the economy and yep. on innovation, yeah. but you don't really see it. And everyone accepts the sort of myths that are spread in support of it. In fact, they were not called property at first. Hmm. They were called monopolies. In fact, the uh, copyright law comes from the statute um, – I mean patent law comes from the statute of monopolies in 1623 in England. Oh wow! Hold on, you just broke up. Back then. You just broke up a little you know, bit. Governments used to be. Yeah. yeah. No, you you just broke up a little bit. You're saying it was the statute of monopolies in 1623 in England. I think we might have lost. Uh, or at oh. least the modern the modern form of patents, and uh, you know. Uh, Stephan, my observation there is... Stefan, yes. i got to ask you to backtrack just a little bit because I think the Skype connection was just breaking up a little. Uh, if you could go back to the Monopoly statute of 1623, was that in England? And, and so you could yes. tell us... Yeah sorry, yeah, sorry for the break. It was just the technology. And we can always switch over to the phone in the next segment if it doesn't, uh, if it uh, continues to screw up. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, I can, I can call back on the uh, computer Skype too. If that, if this yeah. is my iPhone Skype. Okay. Um, yeah, patents, the modern patent systems arose from... England's Statute of Monopolies of 1623, mm. and copyrights come from the Statute of Anne of 1709. So, I mean, they, they didn't, you know, mince words. They knew that they were monopolies, and they called them monopolies because that's what they are. Yeah, it's only a fairly recent propaganda technique in the last, say, let's say, last hundred years, when these monopolies granted by the state started coming under. Uh, attack by free market economist types Excellent. that people started calling them property rights mm-hmm. as a way to justify them. Very interesting. And we've seen examples. There are examples that abound, Stefan Kinsella, uh, where someone has gone in to try to uh, offer something for sale. He's gone into the patent office to get a patent for something. And because he was beaten out by maybe a day or a few hours in the same day, uh, by someone else with a product similar to it, um, he is prevented by the government from offering his product for peaceful purchase by someone else. Yes. Well, the, the way the system works uh, is that in every country in the world, except for the U.S., 
the first person to get to the patent office would win a priority battle over let's say there were two inventors at the same time well the first one to get to the patent office would win and in the u.s ever since the beginning of the country we we actually had a different system we had the first to invent would win but still you could have two people that more or less invented the same thing at the same time and whoever happened to prove that they conceived of it first would win now the u.s law was changed last year to be more like the rest of the world but it's still arbitrary mm -hmm. and if you think about it the, pres the presupposition of the of the system is that one of these guys needs to have a monopoly on the idea now why does that make any sense if two people came up with the same idea at roughly the same time doesn't that show that the ideas sort of time had come mm, right you know yeah. and that they should both be free to use it in their in their business makes a lot of sense now uh stefan what about questions that people might have they they might say okay I understand what you guys are saying. It is very arbitrary. You've got uh, 14 years or 17 years for patents. You've got the life of, life of the author plus 75 years if it was done for personal reasons, plus 100 years if it was done for a corporation under this Sonny Bono Protection Act, the Mickey Mouse Protection Act that they did a number of years ago. So you've got these arbitrary government things. It is in the Constitution. So the Tea Party people will say, oh, it's in the Constitution. How can we possibly question it? We bring up some points. We say, look, it, how do you have a free country? How do you have a free world where people who come up with ideas roughly the same time, one is given a monopoly by the government and the other is prevented? So then they say, yeah, but, you know, if you don't allow for patent protection, if you don't have some government entity policing this, then people could just take products, reverse engineer them, and put them out. Right. And how do you answer that? Because there are some uh, wonderful answers that I've seen you discuss, and I'd love for you to... to I mean, I, I, there's just so many problems with this whole line of reasoning that you, I actually don't know where to start anymore. <laughs> uh, first of all, there's the presumption that... Um, well, first of all, there's a confusion, the typical conservative confusion between free markets and government control. Yeah. If you read the actual literate defenders of patents and copyrights, they explicitly say that we do not want a regime of unbridled competition and we need the government to come in and slow down the diffusion of ideas. Now, they have a reason for this. Their reason is they want to you know, give a, um, a way for people to have a monopoly over these ideas so they have an, an economic incentive to create them so that there's more ideas created. That's what they claim. Mm, right. But they still admit that the whole purpose is to slow down competition or to impede competition. They do not want competition. So if you're in favor of free markets and private property, it's hard to understand how you can justify the government coming in and slowing it down. Um, second of all, there is no empirical evidence that these laws actually do what the proponents say they do. In fact, mm -hmm. all the studies that come out uh, either are inconclusive or they say it looks to us like these laws are costing billions and billions or maybe trillions of dollars per year or decade to the economy. Um, and slowing down cultural creation. All right, so, Stefan, we've got some music coming in. I'd love for you to come back. We'll take our break and return. Sound good? Sounds great. Excellent. We'll be back with Mr. Kinsella, K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A, after we hear from folks who support us.
We return at Liberty Conspiracy Audio. 603-835-3360 is how you get in touch with us. It's Liberty Conspiracy Radio, the live version of what so many people listen to at libertyconspiracy.com. You can find us at Podomatic as well and iTunes. Just look up Liberty Conspiracy and you can, you know, do the subscription thing or just, you know, download each episode, whatever whatever you want. And, um, well, it's just good to know that there are other people out there who believe in freedom. As I mentioned, we're not conspiratorialists. We're just a very small number of folks in a very large pool of people who tend to accept without question, the validity of the immoral construct called the state. And one of the men who does not accept it is our guest. And he's a fascinating guy, and I'm really glad that he's here on this Sunday night. He's Stefan Kinsella. Stefan, thanks for sticking around once more. It's great to have you back. Glad to be here. Hey, why don't we mention your website again so people can head over if they're intrigued by this. Maybe it might be new to them. I know we have some high school students to listen to. Yeah, they can go to uh, stephankinsella.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N. And uh, or they can go just to my uh, Think Tanks uh, site, which is C4, the letter four, the number four, SIF.org. C4SIF.org. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, Stefan, we um, you mentioned a couple things, and so we'll, we'll sort of roll into these. We're talking, folks, about intellectual property and copyright under the government paradigm, where it came from, what it does, which is detrimental, which many people don't even consider, and what we even should think about as intellectual property. So um, we start off by asking Stefan how he got interested in this, and uh, maybe we'll get a little more abstract. Uh, we talk about government getting involved and things like that. And Stefan, before we before we discuss um, some of the more abstract aspects of it, let, let's talk about some of the other negative things that have happened. I mentioned uh, my friend Danko Jones, uh, the musician from Toronto. Yes. Who, yeah, he said that essentially he was bounced off his record label in Canada. He's very well known in Europe uh, because he spoke out in favor of, of uh, pirating. And he said, you know, if it, I've had him on a number of times talking about this, and he says, if it weren't for pirating, people wouldn't know who I was. And he says, you know, I, I, I'm all in favor of it. He says, I make my money by playing live shows. And uh, you mentioned a number of things that uh, have cropped up in your research on copyrights yes. um, that I, I find quite interesting. Well, I would. Uh, there are just so many examples, uh, horror stories you can give or, or, or examples you can give of why this system makes no sense whatsoever. Um, there, there's a kind of an open source advocating science fiction author, Cory Doctorow. He's not quite a libertarian but he's leaning in our direction yes yes and he, he has a comment that um um you know it might be difficult to make a profit in today's world where if you're an author let's say a writer or a creator where you know information is easy to copy but it's impossible to make a profit if you no one knows who you are <laughs> so in other words you want to have a problem to deal with um, he said so in other words obscurity is not what you want so you can see why piracy would be a good thing it can let some people get fans and get well known etc um, and the idea that every person that makes a copy of say someone's song is taking money from them is just a ludicrous this is what the um, the copyright industry uses to come up with these exaggerated statistics about how much piracy costs the economy. There's a hilarious recent bit on Ted. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Uh, he's the husband of um, 
Morgan Webb, whatever his name is, yeah. and he, he kind of mocks the idea by going through the numbers and showing that, you know, basically uh, there's trillions and trillions of dollars of money being lost every year because of piracy if, if, if the copyright industry's numbers are right. And obviously, they're just exaggerated. Right. Um, you know, we were talking in the last segment about the, uh, the arguments given in favor of copyright. But the primary argument, I think, is something you alluded to with your comment about the, 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 this myth of the state. Yeah. Um, the state is the biggest destroyer of human life and wealth that the world has ever known. In fact, that's what the state is good at. The state is good at deception and manipulation and propaganda and, and dishonesty and lying and destruction. That's yeah. really all it's good at. Yeah. Um, and to think that this agency that basically – has impoverished us to levels far below where we, we would be without it, should be entrusted to grant monopoly privileges to favored applicants of patents and copyrights to, to allow them to have a little bit of extra profit. What's the purpose? To make up for 1% of the, of the, of the loss that they suffered because of the, the same state? <laughs> it, it just makes no sense. Why don't, instead of saying the state should have a patent system to help pharmaceutical companies make a profit why don't we get rid of the fda that's right <laughs> or taxes or minimum wage or union you know re regulations and legislation yeah um so it just makes no sense to entrust this mafia organization that is harming us to add one more regulation that is going to give some companies a little bit back that the government's taken from them already yeah that's a well stated stefan um all right well then someone might say okay stefan kinsella um, you know, you you think this about the state. Um, I have a differing opinion, some might say. Um, but when it comes to the state uh, doing something that is important, I think it's important to at least try to protect, say, the work of writers. Maybe Danko Jones can make his money off live shows, but writers can't make their money off of appearing live everywhere. They've got to sit down and they've got to write. They have to try to get some way to make money off of what they make, of what they put out there, and uh, this is their property. Let's first uh, talk about the concept of what is intellectual property and at what stages do people recognize it as such, Stefan, if we can do that? Yeah, well, intellectual property is, like I mentioned, it's, it's a fairly recent term, let's say in the last 100 years, that has been used to try to group together and legitimize and justify different types of government laws, patent and copyright, but also trademark and trade secret and newer laws like semiconductor mask work protection laws, database rights, moral rights, boat hole designs, um, things like this. So, I mean, it's bewildering to the layman, and I understand that, um, which is why my perspective is of someone who understands these laws but also comes, comes at it from a property rights perspective. Most of the critics of patent and copyright law, which are the two, the two worst IP laws, yeah. um, basically are opposed to property rights. So they, they sort of accept the government's and the IP advocates' uh, idea that IP rights are types of property rights, and then these guys oppose it because they're against IP right, uh, property rights. Mm -hmm. I'm in favor of property rights, and that is why I'm against these rights. Um, in terms of the, you know, the average writer or novelist, well, you know, I would argue that the state that takes over half or maybe three fourths of your income, you know, 
could just stop doing that. That would be the best way to help artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, of course, as every artist would, would, would admit, they don't create because of an economic incentive. They create because they have to create. Right. And there's always been artists. There always will be art. So the only argument you could have is that we don't have enough art in the free market. And the government come in and give an incentive so that we have, instead of X amount of art, we have X plus 10% art or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay. okay. Well, I don't, I don't know how they know this optimal amount. And how do they know that it's worth the big tax that the copyright system imposes to get that in the first place? Right, right. So in order to protect their claim on their art, they have money taken from them. And they're as opposed to a private system of some sort of uh, some sort of agreement or arbitration. Um, these people can't regulate how much is taken from them to fund this or any other agency which the state might create, as they as people accept this notion that the state has to be there to protect what they see as this form of yeah, property. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not, not only that, there are lots of forms of art and types of art like remixing, exactly. rap that are now dissuaded and discouraged because you're basically prosecuted and threatened with a jail fine. There's a, a, a Kickstarter project that is almost over right now with a guy who um, has the he's, – he's sort of a folk artist, and he has a T-shirt called Eat More Kale. I don't know if you've heard about this. Oh, man. I, Can you I, hold I thought? He's up we, in Vermont, I think, yeah, right, we, near, we, near Neck of the Woods. We've got to take a break right now, Stefan, but can you, can you hold on to that and bring it back after we uh, hear from our sponsors? Absolutely. All right, great. Stefan will be back. Stefan Kinsella. Check him out, folks, after we hear from some of the folks who support us. We return. Liberty Conspiracy Radio. Time for the drums. Yes. Yes. Way to go, Dom. That's Muse, of course. Pro-Liberty Band. Love Muse. They're awesome. Check out all their stuff. See them live. Watch footage of them. All I'm going to tell you is giant eyeballs bouncing all over a stadium crowd the eyeballs have confetti inside them when they explode it looks like blood spurting out of them it is just absolutely crazy really really creative stuff from muse i'm gardner goldsmith and liberty conspiracy radio on lrn the liberty radio network talking about creativity our guest right now is a man who's very well known in uh speaking the libertarian pro-freedom side, the anarcho-capitalist argument in favor of getting the government out of so-called copyright and patent protection. Even the very idea of intellectual property needs to be explored. Stephen, uh, Stephen Kinsella is with us. Stephen, thanks for sticking around. appreciate it. Sure. Glad to be here. Hey, Stephen, uh, you and I were talking about something, and, and you uh, had to take a break just during the commercial to uh, sort of pause. You were, you were mentioning um, uh, someone, uh, uh, the T-shirts that this man has made, the kale thing. Tell us a little bit about this and, and how it could be uh, contributory to people understanding freedom. Yeah, I wish I could remember the guy's name. If you just go to my website, c 4 siforg and just look for the word kale, or just go to kickstarter.com and type eat more kale. Okay. There's, a, there's like a folk, a folk artist in Vermont who sells T-shirts, and this is just some nice guy who sells T-shirts to say "Eat more kale." He's he, he, you know, he supports kale, which is like a type of hyper spinach, yeah, uh, you know, vegetable. Yeah. Um, and he was sued by Chick Fil A because Chick Fil A has this advertising campaign, which 
as you might know, says eat more chicken. Right. Now it's spelled M O R because the cows are illiterate and they can't spell right. Right. That's the that's the gag. Right. So eat M O R chicken and chicken is misspelled as well. Right. So Chick Fil A has sued this guy under trademark law, which is another type of IP right, right. saying that he's got to stop selling these T-shirts that say eat more chicken because it infringes or dilutes their trademark right. Mm. Now, this is obviously unjust and absurd. This guy is not defrauding anyone. He is not hurting anyone. Uh, he is not even diverting any sales away from Chick-fil-A, which would be okay in my opinion. It's okay to divert sales away from people. That's what we call free market competition. Competition, precisely. Um, but he's not even diverting any sales away. They just don't like it, and they want to protect protect their trademark. Mm. So this guy has mounted a Kickstarter campaign to try to get $75,000 by, I think, tonight or maybe tomorrow mm. to um, to fund a documentary filming his battle against them. He's going to fight it till the end, and this guy might lose everything. Wow. So, But this is just an example. I mean, not everyone can do this, right? Not, not everyone can stand up to these big companies. Yeah. There are so many examples of chilling effects, uh, chilling effects of freedom of speech, of artistic types of work, and of business endeavors. So, for example, right now Apple and Samsung and Motorola, all of these big companies are battling it out over who gets the right to sell smartphones or flat objects that you can touch that give you information. Right. Now, I don't know who's going to win. Maybe they'll all win and they'll pay each other some billions of dollars of royalties. But the little guy who has no patents that he can use as bargaining chips right. in this battle mm -hmm. cannot enter the playing field. So the very system of patent law creates oligopolies that have quasi-monopoly power and, you know, at the expense of the consumers and technology and innovation. This is uh, very interesting. Uh, 603-835-3360 is how you reach us. Uh, Stefan Kinsella is our guest. Uh, Stefan, you know, we, we, we talk about this, and, and, you know, I think people can see that not only have people with ideas been shut out of the competitive marketplace, thus perhaps um, n losing the opportunity, people losing the opportunity to get something better and improve their lives, but if they can imagine, uh, say, the Beastie Boys album, Paul's Boutique... Um, they were lucky because they were able to squeak through during a time period uh, when government laws regarding sampling were a little bit ambiguous, and they were able right. to sample things that, if people can imagine that album never existing, um, then they might be able to imagine all the things that are just not available for them to see that were well, never created. Well, not only that, all, all these artists that are the ones behind the songs that are now owned by the big you know, the music industries that are suing people for copyright infringement, you know, they routinely admit that they, of course, quote, stole, unquote, from other artists. True. Now, I think the word stealing and thievery and piracy are actually dishonest uh, analogies or metaphors to use. I mean, if you steal something, you know, if I steal your, your wallet from you, you don't have your wallet anymore. That's why you object to it, you know? Right. Um, but if I steal your customers, um, you might object to it, but I have the right to steal your customers. And if I copy what you're doing to compete with you, that's not stealing at all. That's interesting. So we have to be we have to yep. be careful not to b buy into the, the you know the, the language of, of these people. But the point is that art always of course relies upon copying the ideas that we have absorbed in the culture mm -hmm. remixing building shakespeare copied 
you know, uh, common ideas at the time. Uh, Michael Jackson has copied people. People have copied Michael Jackson. Um, so to come along and use your fame and your power or the music company that has, you know, basically owns your work to use that to sue people that are now building upon what you've done is hypocritical, if nothing else. Well, that's a very interesting line of thought, Stefan. Stefan Gansell is our guest. And Stefan, it, it reminds me of the question of when is something that you have absorbed uh, an infringement on someone's so-called right to his own creation. So, for example, um, uh, we, were, we were discussing once a writer who said, you know, if, if I put something out there and I, I ask you not to copy it and sell it, and you do, I consider that to be, or, you know, to, if, if you receive something that someone has copied and I, I ask people not to do that, I consider that to be the receipt of stolen goods because you've right. broken my, my request. And I could see that, you know, someone might want to do that at point of sale saying, if I give you this physical item or this digital item and you get it and you give it to someone else, uh, please, you know, I, I don't want you to do that. Please don't do that. But you made a good point, which is in reading it, and you did this off the air, uh, in reading it, uh, where do we draw the line between what is copying and what is physically copying for someone else and and where do we where does this stop when the mind itself will be copying it can you tell us a little more about that that thought process you have yeah i mean absolutely i mean look i believe in in contracts so if two people want to engage in a contract where if i buy your book or i download your mp3 file for your song then i'm agreeing not to use it in certain ways that's okay mm -hmm. but I have to also agree to a certain amount of damages or fines or penalties if if I violate that agreement. Right. Now, it's either going to be trivial like $10, you know, roughly the cost of the of the item, or it's going to be a lot like 10,000 or a million dollars. Now, what person is going to buy a I don't know, a Harry Potter book for $5 on Amazon if they're also agreeing to potentially be liable for a million dollars or 10 million dollars? or a billion dollars, if they do what? I don't know, if they show it to their neighbor, if they remember the plot and mm -hmm. it influences their own novel. I mean, I just think these conditions are completely unrealistic and would never get off the ground in a free society. They only exist now because of the state grant of monopoly privilege. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people are free to have whatever contracts they want. But, but they cannot bind third parties. That's yeah. the other thing. So if you agree to something with your friend, I'm not going to copy this, but you know, your friend comes to your house and sees the, the painting or reads the book on the coffee table or listens to the music in the background and starts memorizing the, the chord, and then they go off and do what they want to do with it, you know, they're not liable. They haven't mm -hmm. signed any agreement at all. So this contract idea is is basically a, 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 is a dishonest argument in favor of copyright and patent. Basically, people are saying, well, if you're against patent and copyright, then you're not in favor of property rights and contract rights. But that's not true because contract rights by themselves cannot get you either as a practical matter or as a theoretical matter. They cannot get you patent or copyright. Stefan Kinsella, we only have uh, about another minute left, and there's one final thing we ought to mention, which is that whether we look at the government construct or the free market construct, um, 
right now, the government's construct is not workable, and it's not going to work. It's just going to be more oppressive, more intrusive. Free market construct is in a, in a state of growth. Um, and I think essentially what we ought to recognize is that the sharing and swapping of these things, as almost anybody can know, knows, it's not going to stop. And so, oh, we're just up against the clock now. Final word, Stefan, uh, maybe last uh, 20 seconds or so. Well, let me just say, I agree with you. The, the biggest danger right now is government use of copyright to infringe Internet freedom. And I did give a six-lecture course on this, which is free online Can on we my go website, website? stephankinsella.com. All right, Stefan, thank you. You time it beautifully. Folks, we're out of here. Talk to you again tomorrow. Be seeing you.